This week on Art of the Air features two artists featured in South Shore Arts Neighbors Exhibit. Representational artist Gwendolyn Zabicki, whose work reflects daily life with hidden contradictions, and Tim Lowley, who creates highly emotional and spiritual work surrounding his profoundly disabled daughter, Tema. Our spotlights on Footlight Players production of the radio play Alien Invasion, running March 1st through the 17th. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. I'd like to welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight from the Footlight Players. It's uh, Rick Henderson. He's vice president of the organization, but also involved in production. And uh, he's going to talk about their upcoming show. Uh, they plan to do the unsinkable Molly Brown, and uh, but they had to make some adjustments, and they'll be doing Alien Invasion. He'll tell us about that. But first of all, tell us all about the uh, unsinkable Molly Brown and what happened, uh, why you had to switch shows. Yes. Hi, Larry. Hi, Esther. Thanks for having us. Hi, Rick. It's good on- to see you. Uh, initially, we planned to do the Unsinkable Molly Brown as one of our shows this season and had a great start. Uh, Christmas came along, and then we had some snow at the beginning of January. A couple of our, one of our actors had to drop out for personal reasons, and then we lost our musical director. So, a musical without a musical director is not a good combination. <laughs> so, we quickly saw things kind of getting to the point where. You know, we knew when our uh, our date was that we had the show to run, and we were just running out of time for auditions and rehearsals. So uh, basically, we had to do a, a, a switch there, and we went with a different play. So we're doing an evening of old-fashioned radio comedy featuring Alien Invasion. Uh, it's going to be a, a comedy. Um, it's a radio play. Some people get a little bit confused by that description. A radio play, back in the day, people tuned into the radio and, uh, hear their favorite stories of you know drama, mystery, westerns, and so forth. Um, the shows were always performed at a radio station and broadcast to the listeners. Um, you know, families would huddle around the radio and listen to their favorite shows, like 
Father Knows Best and Fibber McGee and Molly, for example. But The Great Gildersleeve. Exactly. And our play takes place in the radio studio, but it's not going to be broadcast on the radio. A couple of people have asked me about that. <laughs> we say radio play, but it's actually done on stage, but it takes place in a radio station. When you come to see our play, you'll be you know, basically stepping into the radio station to see the voice actors performing the story in front of a live audience. It'll be like you're in the radio station and watching the production as it's developing. Um, Alien Invasion, the story is a comedy. It involves aliens landing in the Michigan City area, a group <laughs> of reporters and some simple town folks and witnesses tell the story uh, you know, of the developing uh, invasion. And as a viewer, you'll get to watch as the story is told. Um, it's true to the way they once produced. You know, there'd be sound effects on the stage being produced by somebody. Um, uh, there's also some amusing subplots that develop between the townsfolk along the way. So there's a lot of different things going on, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. You know, if you're picturing radio play and thinking it's dry, dated material, you won't have that with this play. It's all it's. Good for all ages. Everybody in the family will enjoy this. The kids, bring the kids. It'll be fun for everybody. All ages are welcome, and all ages should enjoy it. So it's going to be a good, fun play. So, Rick, is it a multi-generational play? Will there be a variety of ages on stage? No, it's all being performed by adult uh, actors. Um, I actually have two different parts in there, but I also play a nerdy teenage boy. So... There, that's the youngest character in there is the nerdy teenage boy, and that's me. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, no, everything is, is taking place on the radio, and it's it's mostly older people and witnesses and so forth. Well, you know, yes. the history of radio plays, they, they actually did perform many times in front of live audiences in the studio uh, to give, especially more the comics things and everything like that. The serious ones, not as much, but uh, yeah, that was, uh, I know my wife produced a couple of those for a mid middle school and they're really fun because you get to watch that. You're, you know, doing the page thing where you're dropping the script and everything. It's kind of a throwback to the way things were and everything in terms of that and yeah it sounds like a great evening and uh, too bad about molly brown but i sure understand sometimes that happens i know it happened to me i was cast once as john adams in 1776 and our music director couldn't do it so anyway we'll hit this again at the end but tell us about the show dates and everything yes the show dates are march 8th 9th and 10th which is a friday saturday and sunday and then the show also repeats the following weekend, March 14th, 15th, and 16th. Uh, the Friday shows are at 7.30 p.m., and the weekend shows are at 2 p.m. for a matinee. Uh, doors open 45 minutes before the, the show begins. And the website and is? The website is footlightplayers.org. You can order tickets there. You can also... Um, Call the theater at um, 219-874-4035. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, real quickly, you uh, this is not the last one you're having. You'll be having auditions probably toward, I think you said maybe mid to late March. And uh, But what's tell us a, just briefly about your upcoming show, the final one of the season. Yes, the final show of the season will be The Lost Boy. It's um, an interesting story. Uh, involving, I, I don't know the whole plot about this one, but it uh, is about the writing of Pinocchio, I believe it is. Um, it's an interesting play. It's directed by Lara West, and auditions for that, I believe, will be, 
I would think they would be March 16th and 17th, but I would, if anybody's interested in trying out, I would say definitely look on the Facebook players uh, website or Facebook page to get that information. Doing the open mics anymore? Yes, we are doing open mics. In fact, we had one last Saturday. Lots of fun. We've got another one coming up in April. Next um, Saturday, March 2nd, we have karaoke night, which is just an absolute blast. Um, so we invite people to come to that, too. So we, we try to do some fun things when we're not doing shows, and we'd like to see more people come and volunteer, try out for plays, volunteer to help us out with productions, and do whatever you can. As a patron, donate whatever you can do. We appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you coming on Art of the Air Spotlight. That's Rick Henderson, Vice President of the Footlight Players, available at footlightplayers.org, and they'll be doing Alien Invasion Radio Show March 8th through the 17th, and you can see it there. Rick, thank you so much for sharing on Art of the Air Spotlight. Thank you. Thank you. Art on the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art in the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. Hi, this is singer-songwriter Kenny White, and you're listening to Art on the Air, Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. We would like to welcome Gwendolyn Zabicki to Art on the Air. Gwendolyn is a painter, curator, and lifelong Chicagoan. Her painting is very representational, and they contain hidden contradictions. Some focus on the daily, tedious, and nearly invisible systems that women put in place to maintain order and a functioning household. Her paintings also confront surfaces, both literally as well as what is reflected just beneath. Gwendolyn is one of the exhibiting artists in the show Neighbors at South Shore Arts. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Gwendolyn. It's very nice to meet you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. What a nice introduction. Well, Gwendolyn, like our audience always wants to know about our guests, their whole background uh, in arts, or even if it wasn't in arts, their origin story. I always say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us all about Gwendolyn. Sure. So um, I'm from Chicago. I grew up on the southwest side. And I can tell you about um, maybe the the first piece of art that ever mattered to me. Um, I was about ten or twelve years old, and um, I I'd like I'd been to museums with my parents before, but I never really related to any of that. It at that age, it just seemed like museums were full of pictures of naked people fighting. <laughs> <laughs> like at 12 like what was this for so what mattered to me what really reached me was um an advertisement it was on the side of a carton of dole brand pineapple orange banana juice um and my parents used to buy this juice and it would sit on the kitchen table and i would just look at it while i was eating breakfast and um this advertisement it was a promotional contest you could win a pair of baseball tickets if you sent in the UPC code. Um, and the advertisement showed this grandfather and grandson at a baseball game. And the grandfather was holding a baseball mitt like up in the air, like he was going to catch a fly ball. And he had this look of ecstasy on his face. He's so excited. And the grandson next to him is maybe about five years old. And 
as a child model, model actor, he wasn't quite as good at faking emotion. So he looks happy, but like a little bored and not as, yeah, not as good as faking it. Um, but the not dis- engaged. <laughs> yeah. And, and the disparity between their emotional states is what stood out to me. Um, and I, I've seen this image every day for weeks and weeks. Um, one day I thought, oh my God, this moment that I am seeing is the last moment just before the grandson says some awful, horrible thing to his grandfather. He is just <laughs> about to he, he's just about to say, like, I'm bored, baseball's dumb. And I thought, like, oh, maybe the grandfather couldn't afford the tickets and he only got them because he won them from this contest. And that all he wanted was to share this special thing that he loved with his ungrateful grandson. And I thought, okay, this could this could play out in two ways. The best thing would be if they both forget this moment, if like it never happened, that maybe if if the grand oh, how does this go? Um if the grandson remembered what he did by the time he was old enough to apologize, his grandfather would probably be dead. And this was so painful for me. I I mean, because at this age, like I, I had said nasty things to my mom. Um, At that age, I was embarrassed to be seen with her and not because of anything she did, but just because I was at that age that I was embarrassed to be seen at all. And I remember I was, I was at the grocery store with her once and I snapped at her for buying generic butter and like the packaging was so awful and we didn't have a lot of money at the time. And I was just, I was ashamed to be poor. And then I was ashamed to be ashamed. And for me, all of this, this whole narrative was contained in that juice advertisement. And it was so devastating. I had to turn it away from me. And in the morning I couldn't look at it. And but really, though, it was painful, but it was my first deep read of anything. It was the first time I really sat and studied an image. And though it was painful, um, it was like it was evocative and it was moving. And I realized like, oh, there's a whole profession of people that just do this. They just right. and study images and make them. And um, advertising can manipulate very, very well. It sounded like yeah, your 10 to 12 year old self was very susceptible to it. <laughs> I'm sure that's not what the people at Dole were after. They probably weren't trying to tell that story. But um, my God, it was, uh, yeah, it was the beginning of like, of, of deep reading and careful looking. Um, and when I got older, I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago for grad school. Um, And when I got out of school, I started making paintings at night. I would walk around in my neighborhood in Logan Square with my box easel and just set up and paint at night. And um, and nobody ever bothered me, but, um, but I liked it. I liked walking around and catching little glimpses in people's windows and getting just a little snippet of like, oh, what's that guy doing? Oh, he looks like he's, looks like they're having a party or like, oh, that lady's got a bathrobe on and she just came out of the shower. Um, but at the time I was reading uh, Alexander Heyman. Do you know him? He's um, a Bosnian American writer. 
And he wrote a lot about Chicago. He moved here and he had this very fresh perspective. Um, he would walk around Humboldt Park and Ukrainian Village at night. And um, he said that uh, Chicago was not built for people to come together, but for them to be safely apart. And, you know, he's used to the urban landscape. I assume in Bosnia, it's, it's a little bit different than uh, Chicago. And uh, he he wrote that in in like in an attempt to build freedom and privacy and independence into our lands into our landscape, our architecture reinforces loneliness and isolation. And um, we see so we see we see evidence of life happening around us, but we're shut out from the private lives of other people. And um, I think Cyril Connolly writes about this too, about like catching little glimpses of people. Um, and and so, yeah, I painted for years, just like uh, in, in the show at South Shore Arts right now, there's a, a painting of a, a man watching baseball and you can see through the little Venetian blinds, the little slats, the brightly lit TV, and you can see the top of his head and he's balding a little bit. And um, there's another painting with, it's called a dad on a ladder and it's just some, it's a man he's reaching up and he's changing a light bulb. And um, they're just these little fleeting moments um, that uh, life is so full. It's so full of that. I, I feel like I've never felt the need to like really fantastic and, you know, extravagant things. Just the everyday has always been enough. So other than dull marketing during your school during your schoolhood, did you develop a particular art sort of crush that um you know that I mean you related very strongly to that ad. Was there then when you started to appreciate museums, maybe an art in a deeper way, who did you gravitate toward? Oh boy. Well, um, when was it? No, I was already in my 20s. I'm thinking there was a very important show I saw at um at the Met in I think it was 2010, 2011. It was uh curated by Sabine Rewald, and it was a show of 19th century romantic German painters who painted windows. Mm. It's all window paintings. And I loved this show. I just loved this show. It was so beautiful. Um and I've always loved the window as a as a motif. It's such a great thing to paint. Um, and I learned from this show that um, the window historically has represented unfulfilled longing because it shows us the very close and the very far away. Yeah. And for me, that was like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's I, it. It's like the dichotomy of attainable and unattainable or something. It's really yeah. Yeah. It's yeah right there. <laughs> But yeah, the like loneliness and like, uh, but uh, but kind of a hard to put your finger. A desire, on. yeah, yeah. Um, but before that, I always loved. Um, oh, I I loved the Ashcan painters. Loved the Ashcan painters. Um, and the Art Institute of Chicago has a couple good ones. A couple John Sloan paintings. And boy, when I got to grad school, I got oh, I got so much flack for that people were like oh the ash can like oh that's so it was so unfashionable and so uncool to like that kind of painting but they were painters who were worked as uh newspapermen and they 
I mean, before photography, they had to run around and quickly draw and document things happening in the city. And um, they're gorgeous paintings of like urban landscape and of, but they paint everything. They paint trash cans, they paint laundry lines and kids playing in the street and dirty snow and all the stuff you're not supposed to paint, just like ugly everyday stuff. And I, yeah, I always loved, I loved the ash can painters. Um, every painter I know, everybody loved um, John Singer Sargent, but he, he did the opposite. He just painted gorgeous, rich people, but, but um, just such an incredible painter. Um, but now it's, it's funny. Like now that's all I care about. It, I tell people all the time, like if I was a, if I was a billionaire tyrant, like my priorities would stay the same i'd just fly around in my little private jet and collecting art and looking at art and um probably visiting friends too but um (laughs) like my life wouldn't be much different really so what is the flow of your series you know because you have very distinct um bodies of interest in your work and so okay um well the paintings in this show there's some older work and newer work. There's a few pieces from um, that I, I painted during the height of the pandemic. We were stuck inside. I had a small baby. Uh, it was winter. It was January. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. And I realized for me, when I wasn't able to, with, the, with there was no input coming in, I wasn't seeing friends. I wasn't doing things. So there was nothing coming out. There was no input. There was no output. I had nothing to paint. So I started just looking out the window and painting whatever I could see. And I saw, you know, people taking walks, walking their dogs, a man jogging, a woman pushing a stroller in the street. Um, and I just started painting what I could see. Um, so there's a few paintings from that period in this show. Um, there's uh, a painting of my my neighbors in their kiddie pool. I could peer out the window and I could see them swimming around. Um, and there's a painting of a neighbor from um, a flight. I was on a flight to Dusseldorf and my my seat neighbor was this uh, chatty, delightful uh, older woman named Josephine. And she could tell that I liked to talk and I was wanted to talk. And, and uh, we we had a couple drinks and we just hit it off. And she was telling me all about New York. She um, is a professor emeritus at Juilliard. And she was telling me about like um, a lot of personal stuff and a lot of stuff about like, about aging and don't worry about getting older. Um, It's great. And (laughs) she told me, she told me the, um, you know, New York is a great place to be old and single because Everything you need is walking distance. And she said, come visit me sometime if you're ever in New York. And so uh, a few months later, I did. I I visited her. We had dinner and she showed me her apartment, a teeny, teeny, tiny New York apartment with a huge grand piano in it. Took up the whole space and she played some music for me and she played um, Chopin and Brahms and she was telling me more about Brahms and she was saying he was in love with this woman named Clara Schumann and Clara was married. And uh, when Clara's husband died, Brahms was hoping like, oh, this is my chance. Maybe we can be together. But but they never did for some reason. They had this 
kind of relationship, but they were never really together. Um, it's a really strange affair, but um, he wrote this song for her, this beautiful song. And when you listen to the song, you can hear the hopefulness in it. And even if you don't know the background and the complicated romance story, like you can still tell, like it's just a very hopeful song. And I wanted to make a painting of her, of Josephine, my my, air, my airline <laughs> friend. And I just wanted to capture who she was. I wanted to make a painting that did that, that showed her as like confident and wise and beautiful. And um, her body in this painting makes kind of a triangular shape. It, it takes up the whole painting. And I think it, it, she's sort of towering and um, she's looking over her shoulder at us. And she's got just like a little smile. Um, but I made this painting for her and then I was going to send it to her. And she's like, I want that thing. It's so big. It's not going to fit in the apartment. Where am I supposed to put that? And I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go keep it. Um, put it in, um, I'll put it in the show. Um, yeah, there you go. You know, a couple more personal things uh, I was going to ask you is, first of all, how COVID impacted you in terms of, uh, was it a productive period? Did you withdraw? You know, some artists have responded differently. And the second part of that is you talked about having a baby and a family. Has that changed your perspective on your art? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, COVID uh, slowed everybody down. I think at first, for me, I, I had uh, a one-year-old when COVID started and at first it was great because I wasn't going out I wasn't going to openings I wasn't going to parties but nobody else was either so it was like oh good I'm not missing anything um but then as it progressed it got it got worse it got harder um so I was kind of I was managing these two challenges at once and I think I am probably more efficient with my time um about as productive as I was before. Uh, my my husband and I look back at our lives before before a child and how much how much free time we had. <laughs> how we, oh, we would sleep in and have brunch and spend some time just looking at our computers and like, oh, what movie do you want to watch tonight? And like, you could spend hours just cooking and eating and like oh we didn't know we didn't know how good we had it we really everyone out there who had doesn't have children please please savor it enjoy enjoy sleeping and enjoy brunch um, <laughs> it is a life-changing thing and even grandkids are life-changing but not in the same way you can still send them home to mom and dad <laughs> So any projects you're looking forward to do, you, you've explored, like you have an interesting body of work, but like, oh, I've never tried whatever that is. So what is that? Oh, well, that's a good question. Um, currently, I am working on a series of um, paintings of things covered by things. Sounds very vague. It's a strange <laughs> starting point. But I have a show, a solo show coming up. Uh, in November 2024 at Goldfinch Gallery in Chicago. And this is in preparation for that show. And this, for some reason, this is, this is doing it for me right now. I love, I love obfuscation. I love the mystery of it. Sometimes all you can see is just a, a hint of a shadow that kind of tells you what it is. And um, 
that's where I am right now. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Check back in November. So after the uh, current exhibit you have at South Shore Arts, do you have any upcoming exhibits uh, or events? And and do you teach classes? That's kind of a two-part question, but, you know. I used to teach. I taught for years. I love teaching. Um, I used to teach at the Hyde Park Arts Center in Chicago, and adults are my favorite. Adults are the best because most adults have several paintings inside them they've been waiting to make, and adults are spending their own money, and they want to be there. And they're the best, my favorite students. Um, I'm not currently teaching. Um, I wish I was. But I, uh, I do have a current show at the Cleve Carney Museum of Art that runs until March 10th. It's uh, in Glen Ellen, Illinois. It's a bit of a drive, but it's a beautiful show. It's a three-person show. Um, check what work is featured in that of yours? Oh, there are... Some snow paintings from the pandemic. There is a painting of my husband um, holding some noodles over his mouth and kind of lowering <laughs> them in, testing them to see if they're done. Um, and, and more uh, urban landscape pictures of... Uh, uh, there's a woman, a gray lady, who I saw over a decade ago, and I've been trying to paint her ever since. And she was wearing all gray, and she blends in with this gray column. And um, you'll see, if you go, you'll see my latest attempt to paint this woman. And then you have something at the Goldfinch Gallery uh, in November? Yes, I have a solo show at Goldfinch coming up November 2024. It's um, a beautiful gallery if you've ever been there. Um, we'll be, I'll be ready. I hope <laughs> that's always the case is you know, getting stuff prepared for an exhibit or a show and everything like that. So uh, in our last few moments here, we want to give you the opportunity to let people know uh, how they can find you like uh, on the web, social media, and then maybe if you're also interested in doing commissions. Yes, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Gwendolyn Z, G-W-E-N-D-O-L-Y-N-Z, or you can find my website, GwendolynZabicki.com and just guess the spelling. Google will get you there. It's <laughs> and they can see your work at your website, your various uh, uh, lines of work. Yes, yes. There, it all makes sense to me. There's a continuous through line in my mind. But uh, yeah, go take a look. And, and we're real curious about uh, how you got connected with uh, Tom and Linda for, to do the South Shore exhibit. Met uh, years ago. I met Tom years and years ago at a at Linda Warren Gallery in Chicago. It, it doesn't exist anymore. But that gallery, for some reason, every time I'd go, I'd have the best conversations. I'd talk to the most people, and I always had the most fun at that place. And I was telling a friend this recently, and she said, oh, that's because they, they always had free drinks. <laughs> most, <laughs> galleries. most galleries don't, uh, but they always did. But I love that place. And um, I was sad when it closed. But yeah, I met I met Tom there, and we've been, and then Linda and we've been pals ever since. Well, that's fantastic. Well, we appreciate you coming on Art in the Day. That's Gwendolyn Zabicki. Uh, she's a painter from Chicago, but she's currently in the South Shore Arts exhibit called Neighbors. Uh, it opened January 19th, but it's running through March 16th, so you can see that in the Bachman Gallery. And you can find out information about her at Gwendolyn zabicki.com and uh, she's out there and plus on instagram facebook and such and gwendolyn we appreciate you coming on art in the air and sharing your story yeah thank you thanks thanks so much 
Art of the Year listeners. Do you have a suggestion for a possible guest on our show? Whether it's an artist, musician, author, gallery, theater, concert, or some other artistic endeavor that you are aware of, or a topic of interest to our listeners. Email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Hi, this is Dorothy Graydon. I'm a contemporary artist in Northwest Indiana, and you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP 103.1 FM. We would like to welcome Tim Lowley to Art on the Air. Tim is a Chicago-based artist, educator, and musician. He spent his childhood in South Korea, one of five children of medical missionaries. The primary focus of his work is his daughter, Tema, creating highly emotional, spiritual, and lyrical work around his profoundly, differently abled daughter. Frequent mediums he uses are egg tempera and acrylic to create his realistic work. Tim is one of the exhibiting artists in the group show Neighbors at South Shore Arts. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Tim. I, I have to say, I was very um, quite moved exploring your physical work as well as your thoughts on that work and your, you know, daily life. It was so thank you for this conversation. Well, thank you. I'm honored. Well, uh, Tim, we always our audience always wants to know about our guests and kind of like their origin story. So I would like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us all about Tim. Okay. Um, well, uh, I was a family of five children. I was one of five children. And in 1961, my parents uh, were living in North Carolina. 1961, they went to South Korea. Uh, where my father uh, served through the Presbyterian mission as a hospital administrator. And my mother taught piano and organ and puppetry at a women's Bible college. So for me, that's pretty critical in terms of understanding where I'm coming from, because I grew up in a country that when we first moved to South Korea, it was not long after the Korean War. The country was impoverished and... Um, it was a devastated country. And so as a young child, I grew up with a, a um, an experience, not personal experience, but a, an observational experience of poverty and devastation that I'm actually really grateful I had because it's not something one generally experiences in middle-class America. Um, there's plenty of devastation there as well, of course. But um, so that experience in terms of what I just described was important. I think there was this also this curious phenomena of growing up in a country where you're not part of that country. You're not a citizen of that country. Um, I never fully learned the language. My parents both spent like two years in language school. And my dad would still say, even after that, when he was working, he was communicating at a, like a high school or junior high school level in terms of the understanding of the language. So there was always, for me, always a sense of I'm a foreigner in another place. But um, anyway, so that was probably in terms of a, you know, a, a formative story of who I am that, that was really critical to who I am. How I came to pursuing art 
not exactly sure. Um, I know I liked making art as a young person. And the story that always sticks in my head is I had already been making art. But when we were, I think my junior year in high school, which I think was in 75, we were in Decatur, Georgia. And I remember going to a high school art show and somebody had made this drawing of a pretty girl. It was a really good drawing. I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> so there was some sort of ulterior motivation <laughs> for making art. Uh, and that's, but I think of that as a, the moment where I realized, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I had already been making art, but I think those that period was a clarifying period in terms of this is something that is really meaningful to me that I can, I don't think I would have articulated it this way, but it's a way in which I can reflect on and contribute to making meaning out of existence, out of being a human being. Um, so when you say making art, were you drawing at that point, painting, using another? Hmm? I was drawing. drawing. I, I may have dabbled in watercolor or something, but it was mainly drawing. Um I don't think I really got very seriously into painting until I was in college and became an art major. I was at Calvin, was then Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, I knew very clearly by the time I went to college that I wanted to be an artist. And I'm really grateful that school had a strong art department and um, they pushed us. And I think the thing I learned the most, or I felt... Um, directed towards the most is how to engage this stuff. That is, a lot of people think of paint as a means to an end. And uh, uh, the crux of the teaching, in some ways, the lack of teaching, because <laughs> there's very, very little sort of like you have to do this and this. It was more a matter of you need to know what this stuff is before you make something with it. And so a lot of it was really sort of a deep engagement with the material. Um, That's so interesting because I find the, I find there's like almost an austerity in the quality of your brush strokes. And did you start out with that? No, um, no. no. You would not recognize my work, but my work in college was the thing I was really, I don't want to get biblical here, but I'm going to go biblical for a second. You know, Jesus says something to the effect of, unless you become a, a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I said, okay, well, what does it mean to make art like a child? So I started thinking about, okay, I want to make art that's childlike. And I was looking to people like Paul Clay and... Primary uh, Colors. <laughs> and artists who had this very sort of childlike approach to making art. Mm -hmm. so in college, that was really kind of a dictum for me in terms of I want to make art that has that kind of innocence about it and wonder about it. And that continues to this day. I'm really interested in make art, making art that has that sense of what is this thing? Who is this person? Right. Um, it wasn't until a really key event for me was um, I think Sherry, my wife and I got married in 81 and I believe it was two years after we, we got married, we went to South Korea. And taught English. I, I'd grown up in Korea as the child of missionaries, but we met, we went back to Korea for a year and taught English for a year. At the end of that year, we traveled to Europe for six weeks, and we were basically seeing a museum a day for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And I remember going into a place like the Uffizi in Florence, 
And excuse my French, but thinking, what the hell are we doing? When I saw this stuff, like, you know, the, the Primavera or whatever painting, it's like, what are we doing? And when I say we, contemporary artists, what are we doing? This stuff is unbelievably powerful. And we are, we are somehow dabbling around in something without realizing, actually, you can do that. <laughs> you can do something that has that degree of sincerity. And luminosity. <laughs> luminosity. I mean, it, 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 when you see those paintings in person, it's like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. A human being made this. What are we doing? So that was, to me, an utterly convicting experience. And when we returned from, from that trip to the United States, I taught myself how to work with egg tempera and sort of slowly developed a practice that was moving more towards what I'd call representational painting as opposed to realist painting. I think of it less in terms of about being a realism as much as giving representation to a subject. Right. And, um, there's more to that story. I'll talk more about that. But uh, I didn't you actually combine both of those in your paint in, in a single painting. You know, you both have a very it's it's both of those. It's like a dichotomy of both of them. I'll look at them and it's it's like so clear in one area, but then it shifts into something softer within the same painting. Yeah, I, well, I am interested in multiple kinds of art making. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I decided to work with with egg tempera almost on a lark, um, but there's something about egg tempera is it is a technique that requires a very sort of methodical and for me contemplative quality about it. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to wreck the painting mm -hmm. because it remains fairly fragile. And so it, there's a kind of I don't know the right term. Um, it's not being aloof, but sort of a, a delicacy that um, that being delicate, I guess, would be the better way to put it. Um, so if you've gotten to the, let's say you, you're, uh, and maybe there's 20 layers that you put on of these thin layers, is when you're talking about that, are you meaning like the 21st layer has gone too far then? No. Is no, that what you're? No, no, it's, it's more a matter of... Um, well, I'm not really sure what, what my point was, but um, it it's a different kind of it's 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 uh, how can I put this? Um, for a lot of people, painting is you take the paint, mixing a brush, bam, you're doing the painting, right? With this kind of painting, you have to be more strategic because you're going to build up layers and layers and layers, and you have to handle it in a certain way, otherwise you'll wreck the entire thing. Mm -hmm. It very it's very easy to wreck a tempera painting. And when I'm saying tempera, I want to make sure you understand. I'm talking about egg tempera. I'm not talking about the children's tempera. Poster paints, right. Um, you know, again, it was an encounter with work by people like Frangelico. When I was looking at the paint surface, I was like, this is, this is so beautiful. In and of itself, aside from its representational aspects, it has this kind of... Um, I don't know the best words to use to describe it. Um, well, the quality is also because there's minerals and and you're making your own pigments. It's not like they went to hob, you know, like went to the art supply store and picked up a tube of paint, you know. And well, so there's it's it's but that, that I mean the truth is the same pigments have been used throughout the ages. But the thing about egg tempera is one thing you have to make it yourself. 
because it spoils so quickly. So you can't really put it in a tube. So you, like every other day, I was making my paint, literally taking the pigment, adding egg yolk to it, mixing it, all of which takes time. But also you learn about the fact that alizarin crimson doesn't like water. <laughs> it doesn't come out the, of anything. <laughs> well, you learn about each of these pigments actually have unique characteristics, which may have nothing to do with what they look like. But it tells you that that a painting is made out of something. Um, it's made out of a, a group <laughs> that's as eclectic as any human group you could possibly meet, Right. And so there's something to me interesting about a painting is not simply paint is not simply color. Paint is actually pigment. It's made from something. It's derived from it's either chemical or mineral or whatever, but it it in and of itself has a kind of identity in addition to its color. And I think sort of the experience of that was helpful for me in terms of thinking about corporality, bodiness, right? We operate from a place of bodiness. Paint operates from a place of its unique um, um, components or its capacities. That was helpful for me to, to, to experience in terms of I'm not just making a painting. A painting isn't just a, a picture. It's actually a physical thing that anyway i feel like yeah, I'm, an experiential experience I guess. but experience but also it is a thing that is from material that is of the earth that you, that that you can't simply regard the materials used to make it as a means to an end it in itself has its own identity does that make sense yes it's sure like we, it's like when we're relating to other people we tend to relate to other people in terms of who we understand them in terms of their job or whatever and sort of disregard the sort of complexity of their life. It's a similar with a pigment. It has a history of itself. And I think when you engage that and think about what that could mean, it actually contributes to the meaning of whatever you're using it towards. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, on WVLP, 103.1 FM. So your so. subject matter, I think uh, our audience would be interested in hearing, was influenced by a life event um, that's uh, very profound. And I w hope you would uh, share that with our audience, uh, how that uh, influenced uh, what you render in your work. Are you speaking of my life with Tema? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so our daughter Tema was born in 1985. And... The specific circumstances are, frankly, too long to <laughs> explain. But not long after she was born, she had a cardiac arrest. And we are very fortunate that a friend of us, ours, who was a nurse, had actually uh, was there when that happened. And she was able to do um, CPR. But then after she was resuscitating, she was having constant seizures. And we don't know if she had pre-existing brain damage or undoubtedly those two events would have led to brain damage. And so when she eventually, you know, went back in the hospital because of all of that. And um, ultimately the result was mentally Tema is one day old. She's now 37 years old. Mentally she's one day old. Everything is new to Tema. There's no sense. 
there's no sense of the the possibility of learning. And um, I think I think for many people that sounds like an utterly utterly catastrophic, and it was catastrophic, but uh, this great loss. And in some sense, it is. But in other sense, I live with someone who is utterly innocent and who is. Um, She's a wonder to live with. She, I mean, she's someone who lives in a sort of state of wonder. But um, I, I greatly value who who Tama is, and my work representing her. You know, that the show that's currently at the Art Center is a little bit unusual in that these are five very big paintings. Most of my work is not that big. Most of my work is much more on a on a human scale. But part of the reason I, at the time I made those paintings, um, I was really interested in um, this subject that um, I think fairly early on in Tema's life, I realized there's something here that I don't see anywhere else. It exists, but in our culture, people like Tema are, are largely institutionalized. And because someone like Tama cannot give or refuse consent, it's ethically problematic to make art of them, i.e. they aren't represented because of that. And so as Tama's parent, I feel like, increasingly felt, I have the right to, to honorably represent Tama. And because she is part of a community that is largely invisible, I'm going to more than make a couple pictures of her. <laughs> so I would say somewhere around a little more than a third and less than a half of my work has been work related to Tema. And um, again, I don't, I, I don't want someone to misread it as I think she's, you know, the, the greatest human on earth, but as a kind of representative of a community that because of who they are, that is lacking whatever it would take to give consent, they, they aren't represented. And um, and saying unequivocally that life matters. <laughs> the life of people like Tema matters. But how does it become a meaningful thing to the broader community? Um, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, much. as 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 humans, there's like a like an intrinsic comfort in. Um, predictability like as an artist sometimes the opposite needs to occur but with your life with Tema what is the predictability are you still surprised are there things that um like whether it's a a touch or a I mean are you you know are you still do you still have surprises because your work it's like it's so interesting to watch the progression of Tema in your work you know, and I, as I was looking at the photos and reading some of your words, I thought, well, what is the effect of gravity? Because you say a lot of times she's lying down on the ground because she she doesn't have control to to sit up. So when you have her, um, so, you know, so what are the physical, I guess, manifestations of changing her gravity then, you know, because your paintings are all so different of her, I guess. I'm not sure I'm understanding your question. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I just got to wondering as I was 
as I was reading your words about how a lot of, you know, because not all of the, um, not all of the paintings are represented with Tema lying down. Right. And so I was kind of wondering whether you're, whether she is placed in a different position or whether you are just in your mind standing her upright or well and what's her reaction to this shift in gravity i guess what's my response or her response her response her response i I, she's pretty content with whatever whatever position she's in uh we will change her positions to to you know for a variety of reasons um i i i would say metaphorically what i am trying to do with my art is present her as, in a sense, standing as present to the viewer. Often, I, I represent her lying down. But that's simply because she lies down a lot. She, you know, mm. she can't stand on her own, and she, frankly, she couldn't really sit on her own unless she's somehow positioned. Right. Yeah, uh, Tema of the Earth is such a glorious painting. Tema on Earth is mm-hmm. one of the more punchy uh, works I've ever made in terms of. It's is an artwork that when you see the actual work, it is very dis- disconcerting. It's intentionally so. Um, I know I don't have a lot of time to talk about that painting, but um, it's sort of unique for me. Uh, but it's also trying to get at my intention in terms of my work with Tema. And I, as an aside, I'll say quickly, I'm also really consumed with work that's not related to Tema. Mm-hmm. A work which has a similar intention of reflecting on the meaningfulness of this person's life and what they're doing. And a lot of what I'm doing right now is is in that particular direction. Um, so, um, which, you know, because like your your work, Tema's Objects, is very monastic in quality. And is that is that graphite that you're using for that? Or those... The drawing series, Tema, Tema's Objects? Yes. Yeah, those were graphic drawings. Those are done collaboratively with one of my former students, um, I can't remember. One of us would start it, and the other would finish it. I don't remember exactly the procedure. I think that was with Rachel, Rachel McCann. Um, um, yeah, I'm interested in collaboration, actually. And one of the one of the things I did a fair amount with when I was teaching, I used to teach at North Park University. I graduated, <laughs> retired last year. Um, I'm really interested in how how one's art making can actually cause the viewer to think about their creative agency. That, that to me, is something I'm really interested in. And the one thing, yeah, those big paintings I'm showing down there, those are unusually large for me. And the only thing I have about those, my only hesitation is, those are very intimidating. <laughs> I can imagine someone saying, oh, I could never make that. And I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have that be some, <laughs> what someone walks away from. Truth is, yeah, you could do that. It just would take you some time. <laughs> and a lot of paint. <laughs> In our last few moments, we want to give our, you a chance to tell how people can find your work, uh, social media and such. Sure. Tim Lowley. I think it's timothylowley.com. Uh, my website is sort of uh, in, still in progress. Instagram, Facebook, those are the places I would suggest going. It's, you know, just Google Tim Lowley, Instagram, Facebook. I show up pretty quickly. Great. And we'll have a link on your picture on our website. Tim Lowley, thank you so much for coming on Art of the Air, sharing your deeply personal art journey uh, with our audience. 
Well, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, thank you so much, Tim. Sure. Ciao. We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org. If you have a smart speaker like Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or Apple Siri, just tell it to play Art on the Air to hear the latest episode. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker and for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art in the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself show the world your heart express yourself your heart and show the world